is it not true that when you get older, you are allowed to repeat the same story again? Ed and Sunday are here. Ed just read the scriptures. First time I met them, it might have been the first Sunday, Sunday, whose last name was Jackson, Sunday Jackson, but it's Creech now. Anyway, she's, she came to our church. It was a different church. And she said, she had her granddaughter who was a really tiny baby. And she said, I'm here for Charlotte. That was her name. Kind of like, I'm not here for me. I'm here for Charlotte. I love to tell this story, and I've told it often. And I remember we would sit about where you folks are, and they would sit there. And a few weeks, maybe six weeks in, we were singing, and I noticed that Sunday was weeping, and her hands were up in praise. And I thought, well, that's an odd way for her to behave if she's just here for Charlotte. And Ed and Sunday came to follow the Lord. And they were, I got to marry them. They were baptized here. And Ed read the scriptures. He's one of our deacons. And that brings me to a very important point I want to make today. There's nothing in the world sweeter than being there when God nudges somebody into the family of faith. There's nothing sweeter than that. It's something you just never get over. The Bible says there in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. All authority has been given to me, all power. He says it's, it's a spiritual authority over dark forces. All authority, Jesus said, has been given to me. You go into all the world, and I'll be with you always, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do, to observe the things I've commanded you, and, and I'll be with you. My dynamic power, my power over darkness will be with you. So I'll talk about today how to speak and teach and witness with authority. I want to talk to you today, this week, about how to teach and speak and witness with authority. We're between series. I'll start First Peter later in the month. This week, Lord willing, I want to talk to you about how to speak and teach and witness with authority, with spiritual power and with spiritual influence to help other people. Next week, I want to talk to you about seven ways to listen to the voice of God. How can you tell when God is speaking without becoming a fruitcake? That's what I'm going to talk about next week. We don't want any fruitcakes, but we do want to have a living and dynamic. We want to speak for God, but we want to listen to him. This is what we're, we'll be talking about in the, in the next couple of weeks. There is a cosmic struggle that's going on. When we proclaim Christ, there is a cosmic struggle, a struggle, a struggle, a spiritual struggle, warfare bigger than all of the world that takes place in the world of the spirit for the heart and for the soul and for the allegiance of the hearts of men and women. And this battleground is, is the human mind. And when we proclaim Christ, we are serving notice on the spirit world that Jesus is Lord and the demon's days are numbered. This is what's happening. We've been given the right to speak with authority, and so we proclaim the message of Christ. We preach, when we preach Christ crucified, we preach it to the principalities and powers. This is not something I understand, but it's repeated in the Bible a number of places. Because people are bound by Satan, and people are blinded by Satan. The scriptures say that regularly. 
before the light of the gospel comes in and they understand who Jesus is and who they are. According to 1 Peter, Christ did this. And there are, are many people who I have a high admiration for that believe this is a part of our missionary work is to go in first and to declare the victory of Jesus over demonic powers. Start to read the Bible. You see this everywhere. Ephesians 3.10 says, we're making known the mystery to the principalities and to the powers. When we take communion, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So God has given to every believer a power or authority, probably greater than you realize you have, to influence others to follow Jesus. That was the big idea right there. So I want to, I want to expand on that, but God has given you greater power, greater spiritual authority to influence other people for good than you probably think you have. I want to talk about that to inspire you, to encourage you. Power or spiritual authority is demonstrated, it's experienced, it's not so much explained and analyzed, it's demonstrated and experienced. It's like the man born blind, and they were questioning him. About, he was born blind, and then Jesus restored his sight, and they were questioning him about who is Jesus, analyze this, explain this. He's like, what did he say? I don't know who he is. All I know was, before he came, I couldn't see, now I can see. That was, a pow that was his power. You may remember, Lois and I were in Israel, and we were talking with a professor, and we found that he wasn't really sure there was a, a, a real hell. And, and he stated that, and then we were kind of quiet at the table, and I didn't know quite what to say. I don't want to be rude. Lois just cleared her throat, and then she said, well, when I was a little girl, I went to a little hillbilly church in my neighborhood, and the pastor there believed in hell, and that's how I got saved. You don't analyze that. You don't explain that. You experience that. A person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. Really, a lot of what we want to argue down only is going to yield to spiritual authority. And so it is with influencing other people who are in the grips of Satan and our own selves when we're influenced by demonic powers or the world, the flesh, and the devil. We want to think much about this. How do we, how do we communicate with authority, with spiritual power and spiritual authority? Think about this. This is a description of, of what our, our job is or our privileges are. We are heralds of God. Every believer, is, that's the Caruso word, like a herald for the king. We're a herald for the king to go and give the good news message that the king has good news for the world, that his son died in their stead. We're heralds. We are stewards, the Bible says, stewards of the mysteries of God. Like we've been given something very, very valuable, and we're stewards of it. We take care of it. And, and this we do by passing along in, in teaching and in truth and in preaching. We are uh, authorized messengers for God, uh, euangelion, it's the evangel word. It's, uh, it's like the, in the ancient world when there was a war and your loved ones were engaged in that war and the war took a turn against the enemy and now you were winning, they would get their fastest runner to run home and declare the victory. And that's the word that they used. This is who we are. When we tell people about Jesus, we're declaring the victory of Jesus over, over dark satanic powers. People, this is, a, this is the good news runner. You and I are the good news runners to run and tell people the victory that Jesus has won. We are authorized messengers of this. Paul said we're, we're ministers of reconciliation with a ministry of reconciliation. In other words, people are estranged from their very God. But we have a message of reconciliation, and we are ministers of reconciliation. And so even when you, you, you make a shepherd's pie and you share it with a friend and you listen to their heart and you, get a, you drop Jesus' name into the conversation, you have, you're, you're helping them make peace with God. This is 
priceless, beautiful. You are a witness. In other words, you're a personal eyewitness of God's work. Who can argue with a witness? I was there. This is what I saw. This is what happened to me. You're a witness. You are an oracle of God. Did you know that? Did you know that? You didn't know that, did you? You're like, you don't normally put that on your bumper sticker. Here it drives an oracle of God. A person who speaks for God. God says, here's the message. I allow you to go speak for, say my words. And we, and we are, some of you, and, and we're gifted variously. Uh, Romans 12 talks about our gifting. Let me go through a list of her real quickly. In, in, there's the prophetic voice there. The one who exposes sin and calls people to repentance. I married one of these. That's a wonderful experience sometimes. Um, yeah, you, you, the person that, that says, that's wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, moving right along. Then there is the, then there is the, the, the person who has the gift of mercy. Uh, one of our oldest daughter, when she came along, I realized she had a tender, merciful heart. And it was, she was a gift to us that we would have a little mercy shower. Mom was crying one day. Somebody made her cry. I don't know who it was, but she was crying. She was sitting down by the bathtub. Matter of fact, it was right over here on Bradley Street. And the day before we moved out of this area, mom was crying. I'm not telling you why, because it would make me look bad. Uh, so Lois was sitting down by, by the tub, and, she, and there were tears on her. And little Holly walked over to her and looked at her, and she reached out and touched her face and said, Mommy, you have feelings on your face. We knew we had a mercy shower. Some people will only yield to mercy, but others need to have the law laid on them from a prophet. Then there, there are some of your teachers Teaching is a wonderful gift, making clear and plain the truth of God. God empowers teachers. Some of your givers, raise your hand if you're a giver. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Oh, now we know. Yeah. Smoke the couple of givers. Both of you together. Yeah. Follow them wherever they go. Givers. Uh, normally, we don't really ask people to. If you, <laughs> that's what a sweet gift to be generous. And sometimes it's your generosity that opens the heart of a person powerfully, spiritual power through this spiritual, empowered spiritual gift. Get it? You seeing what I'm saying? How, who doesn't love organizers? Uh, isn't that great to have somebody that can, I love organizers. I love to, I love for them to do what they do so well because I have these big ideas, but I sometimes they, they fail in the details and then organizers go, you want me to organize that? I'm like, would you? And then everybody's blessed. If I try to organize it, everybody gets roughed up. But if they organize it, everybody just finds their place, and then we all have corn dogs and hot dogs and bounce houses and tents and everything's music, and we're going to do that in a minute here. I get done talking a couple of hours from now. Um, the organizer. Then there's the one who has the word of encouragement, the exhorter. That's, I think, my gift. I, for those who are crushed by sin, you're proclaiming peace, victory, you're like a liberator shouting through the barbed wire that the victory's been won and the prisoner can now go free. You're part of a liberating force, liberating people from the enemy. You're bearing good news. You're bearing the good news of peace. When you speak and you're a Christian, it matters. You want to speak with power, spiritual authority. Some of you are sitting there with little ones on the pew or you have little ones down the fellowship hall, wherever they went right now. Where do they go? Are they in the gym? Or the, I don't even know where they're. They're down here, yeah. So, shows what I know, huh? Thank you for them, huh? You want to influence them, don't you? Wouldn't you like to have spiritual power to influence them, spiritual authority? And maybe you have 
little ones have grown up and you're limited at what you can say, but you so want to influence them. How would you like to have spiritual authority? Okay, as time allows, um, I am going to give you seven ways to speak with spiritual authority or to teach or to preach with a spiritual authority. Number one, speak with, from a clear conscience. From a clear conscience. Speak from a clear conscience. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 19, Paul says to Timothy, holding faith and a good conscience, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Timothy, young pastor, he says, you go and make sure that you have a clear conscience because without a clear conscience, you can burn your life down in a pile. But when you speak with a clear conscience, people can see it in your eyes. And it's not hard to get a clear conscience. Jesus did the hard work. We confess our sin. We're honest and open about our sin. We let him do the work he will instantly do in us, and our conscience can be clear. And then we can go forth and look people, look the world in an eye with the, the wicked are, are flee when no one pursues. The wicked man is afraid of a shadow, but the righteous is bold as a lion. We have this little dog, Hazard. Everybody was gone. One night, it was just Hazard and I alone in the house, and I felt lonely, so I went and got him, and I put him on the bed so he could sleep on the bed, which he didn't normally do. So he's laying there. I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. And I think, you know, dogs can hear things that humans can't hear. And I thought I heard somebody. And I was watching him. And then he, he looked at me. He's super intuitive. He could tell that I was a little nervous. Like, is there somebody out there? He's like, we both scared each other. There was nobody out there. <laughs> the wicked flees when no one pursues. But the righteous are bold as a lion. There's something about knowing you're right and that, and that your heart is clear. And your jaw's square, you square your shoulders to the world, like, this is the truth of God. My conscience is clear. I, I'm, not, I'm not manipulating you. I'm not, the, blessed are the pure in heart, as scriptures say. You can, you can, you're free of distortion, you're free of distraction, you're free of wrong motives, you're free of failure. You, you, you can make eye contact, you can look the world straight in the eye. There's power in having a clear conscience. Number two, Use the scriptures. Speak the scriptures. Tether what you say to the Bible. Listen, as a communicator, it isn't our job to just say the truth. It's not. Because if we just say the truth, then we haven't, if, if you read the scriptures carefully, what you'll see is in the scriptures, we are exhorted to guide the truth around the spiritual and mental obstacles people have. You don't just get the truth off your chest. There might be a prophetic, there might be a prophetic experience where you uh, in terms of s denouncing sin and saying the truth and having a prophetic voice, there's a place for that. But in, 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 in teaching and in exhorting and in helping people understand truth, you don't just get the truth off your chest. You guide the truth around their mental obstacles, their spiritual obstacles. And to do that, you want to speak as the oracles of God, Scripture, truth from the Bible. This is what 1 Peter 4.11 says. When you talk, talk as the oracles of God. When you talk, back up what you say with the Bible. Don't just, did you ever think this? Christians aren't really allowed to just spout their own opinion. When, you, when Jesus Christ became your Lord, you forfeited the privilege, if you will, of just shooting off your mouth and saying what you think. Because you're bought with a price, and you belong to him, and your life is his. And you can't just say what you want to say. What you, what you should say is, what does God say? 
I have no right to say what I think because I belong to God. I'm his love slave. What do you, and so the best way for me to, to know that what I'm saying has authority, has power, is just to paraphrase the Bible or simply read the Bible or speak truth from the Bible. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16 is in that context of we can't know these things, but we do have the mind of Christ. It's revealed to us in the Scripture. And the Bible says in Hebrews in 4.12 that the Scriptures are the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Scriptures have the ability to smoke out what you and I cannot smoke out. That's why as a pastor, you'll, you'll arrange your words in all these wonderful ways, and then you'll preach, and you'll think, I wonder if that helped people. And then some people that are helped will come to you, and they'll say, it was when you said this. And you think, I don't remember saying that. Or that was kind of an aside. Or they got something completely different than I really meant for them to get, but it was from the Scripture, because the Scriptures are very powerful. So if you want to speak with, with, with authority, uh, or teach with authority, or preach with authority, or witness with authority, speak with a clear conscience. And second, use the scriptures. Show them the scriptures. This summer, when I was witnessing a, a, a boy, I remember he was, he was watching. I, I told you part of the story before. He was listening, kind of like, okay, okay. He looked a little skeptical. All right, all right. But I remember when I opened the Bible and turned it around and he read it, that's when the, you could see the lights go on. You could see the joy in his heart because I was showing him what God said. And he had that confidence Third, speak to the conscience. Appeal to people's conscience. So we all have a tendency to appeal to a person's intellect or to their will or, or to their emotions, and there's nothing wrong with that. These are powerful means of communication. I appeal to a person's uh, volition. Shouldn't you do this? Or I appeal to their emotion and tell them something happy or sad that's not inappropriate at all. Or, or, I, or maybe I appeal to their mind, but what's interesting, or their intellect, and a lot of people, that's what they want to do. They just want to spar intellectually. But what, the, what Paul said is, I commend myself to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And so if you want to speak with authority to people, then ask them questions that probe their conscience. When my kids were little, I remember one of the boys was picking on one of the girls. I won't name them. It was our firstborn son, our second, our firstborn daughter, but I won't name them. Anyway, they're doing good now. But I remember I said to Kyle, his name was Kyle. I said to Kyle, was that gentle what you did to Holly? And he started to cry after a while. His conscience was tender. I appealed to his conscience. Was that gentle? I didn't say, you're so mean. <laughs> I didn't say, shouldn't you feel bad for your sister? I said, you need to determine you will never do that again. I just said, was that gentle? And every once in a while, you have the Holy Spirit do that to you? Was that true? Was that right? Should you have said that to her? Are you being selfish? Powerful to appeal to the conscience and this is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 2, commending ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And then immediately goes on and says, because they're in spiritual bondage, but there's a power in appealing to their conscience. So using probing questions. And it, another way of saying this would be that if you want to influence people, you don't just tell them the gospel, but you teach them the law. Because nobody realizes they need the gospel 
until they feel the weight of the law. There's an interesting book written by a guy named Ray Comfort called Hell's Best Kept Secret. Google that name and you will have fun on the internet for a while. Ray Comfort. Hell's Best Kept Secret is the law. The law of God. We have a tendency to be kind of distorted grace people. Oh, Jesus loves you and and it, well, yeah, that's true. But, but understand first, if, we're not, if we don't have a sense of our condemnation before a holy God, the gospel will not be sweet to us. And it is a part of our church's job is to proclaim the good news. But there has to be a place where we are a prophetic voice, where we teach the law of God. Now think about that for a while because we're, we're losing our grip on that. In the modern church, we, we do a lot of gospel-like talk, a lot of loving talk, which of course is appropriate, but we don't do as much appealing to the conscience by the teaching of the law. Charles Spurgeon knew this, and he was a powerful communicator. And still today, people read his things. Powerful, spiritual power and authority on his life. And he said, use the ten canons of the law. You have these weapons. Aim them at people. <laughs> Aim the ten canons of the law at people. And so, in your raising your children, in, in your exhortations to other people, in your, in your witness, remember to appeal to their conscience by questioning based on what the law of God teaches. So, number one, speak with a clear conscience. Number two, speak with Scripture. Number three, s- appeal to the conscience or, or teach the law. Number four, speak from experience as a witness. That's what uh, Ed read in, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. You go and be witnesses for me. All over the world, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world, Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, in concentric rings going out. Go tomorrow and be a witness for me. Powerful to get the name of Jesus in play to people. People are watching you. I was in a long line in the bank last week. It just took, it took about 17 years. I was there 17 years last week. <laughs> And I thought, by the time I got to the line, I thought, man, that was the longest 17 years of my life waiting for this, uh, for this line in the bank. And I just said, I, I got in there, I go, what? just like this, I go, wow, that took forever. And then the lady, the girl kind of laughed, and I go, yeah, man, you must be swamped. And then she took care of my thing, and then she said, Pastor Pierpont, I visited your church one time. I was like, oh, that's really good. I was cheerful about being in line for 17 years. I was out in Horton at the little dollar store, and, and I, go, I, go, <laughs> I go up to the counter, and the, the ladies were trying to decide, you know, what they were, they were doing some things, and maybe they were going to wait on me. And I go, hey, somebody needs to wait on me here. I'm a very important person. That's being funny, right? Uh, so who, gets, who gets to wait on me today? And then um, the one goes, they fell right into this. Goes, oh, I get to wait on you, and yes, you're important. And, and she's waiting on me, and the other girl over here names members of our church and says, I'm their granddaughter. I'm like, <laughs> so rule number one, people are always watching you. <laughs> so be like Jesus. Like the old hymn says, be like Jesus, this my song, in the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long. That's what the song said. But you're a witness wherever you go. You're a representative wherever you go. You, what people are watching your face. People are listening to the tone of your voice. People are judging Jesus based on you. God's people all over the world need a witness. And you get to be a witness. And I get to be a witness. Has the Lord ever done anything for you? 
has nod if the Lord has ever done anything for you. I'm like, you're still breathing, so you're not in hell. This is good. We got corn dogs outside. This is good, right? He's done a lot for you. Can you tell people about that? You, you, you know, they could be a Buddhist. They could be a Muslim. You're still allowed to say, God's been very good to me. My, my little boy's teeth were rotten out one day. Uh, matter of fact, all the kids had cavities, and I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. And then I got a call from a man who said, start bringing them into my office, and I want to fix them. And he never charged me a dime. I was laying in my bed at night praying, God, what, I feel so irresponsible. How am I going to fix my kids' rotten teeth? I can, I'm a witness today. I could stand here for hours and hours. Does anybody doubt me? I could stand here for hours and be a witness to the kindness and the mercy and the grace and the generosity of my God. You can't argue with that. Nobody could argue with that. You get to be a witness in all of the world. John, 1 John 1, 3, John powerfully says, I was an eyewitness to this. I was an eyewitness to this. And then he writes it down. So there's a formula for a powerful testimony. What problem or struggle do you have? What did you tr do to try to solve it by yourself? How did that work for you? <laughs> I know the answer to that one, right? Then how did you discover God's solution in the Bible? And now report on the results. Now think back over your life. I remember one time I said, how many of you used to smoke tobacco and you didn't want to and God helped you quit? And a bunch of people raised their hands. I go, okay. There's, you know how many people would like to not smoke tobacco or use tobacco or whatever? They'd like to quit. Probably lots of people. You know, you go to the doctor, they go, do you smoke? And then they're like, you're going to die and give me all your money first. You know, that's how it's going to work. Um, I'm not just picking on smokers. I, 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 I have... I know people with other vices. Um, but, but, but if you, if God helped you quit smoking, you're, you're witness. Uh, have, you, have you always been as tender and kind and loving and sweet to your wife as you are right now? Well, no. You, you had to grow. Be a witness. Uh, what a, it's a powerful thing to be a witness. So if you want to speak with authority, like often, be a witness. Often, this is how I give the gospel to people. Uh, you know, it'll be a little awkward because you're in a public place. And I will say, my dad was in the Navy. And then he was, um, he was, um, ran into some crazy guys one time that said to him, are you saved? And my dad said, are you guys crazy? What is that? And they go, you know, are you a Christian? And he goes, well, my dad said, well, of course I'm a Christian. I was born in America. They go, no, 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 you got to be born again. And he says, what is that? Okay, what did I just do? What did I just do just now? I told you a story. It's my story. I'm a, it's my dad. I'm allowed to tell you the story of my dad. I even did it in the kind of third person, like how weird were these guys? Which isn't where we're going to stay, right? We're gonna, I thank God for those crazy Baptist guys that led my dad to the Lord. His, and I got, his life was changed. Then all of our family, our life was changed because somebody said, are you born again? I, I'm, I actually can sometimes tell a story and put the gospel in it. You, could, you might be able to, to do that too. But what was your struggle or problem? What did you do to try to solve it unsuccessfully? How did you discover God's solution? And, and what were the results? Now, another thing that I will tell you about this witness thing is, let's say, okay, look, like I'm kind of a big guy and I need to lose weight. Let's, I don't want to be too personal, but that, there's that. Okay, well, I've lost weight before. <laughs> I'll get it back, lost it. Anyway, this is a lifelong thing. 
Now, now, so, but if, if God helped you to be more healthy than you were, you have a story to tell about that. And people will listen. Lady called me day before yesterday, was yesterday from Colorado. She'd read things online, and she just wanted to talk about that. Her name was Pat, nice lady. I got to talk with this nice lady who, who had read these things. I got to be a witness to something that God has done for me, or God is doing. I'm in process, but I've learned some things. I've got to be a witness. You can be too. This is a way to speak with authority. And when you speak, have others confirm the truth with their testimonies. Uh, this is really powerful. In other words, tell stories or have other people tell stories or point to the internet where there are stories recorded on video or in, you know, embedded in sermons. Let, give people confirming witnesses to your witness. This is very powerful. If you want to speak with power and authority, then speak with a clear conscience, speak with scriptures, appeal to people's conscience, speak from personal experience, include the personal experiences of others. And number five, um, it would be this one. Let me go back to 1 Corinthians. You might want to look at this. 1 Corinthians 4 says something interesting. And this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's kind of interesting. Oh, hey, I'm Ken, steward of the mysteries of God. That's kind of cool, isn't it? It's like a superhero. Hey, I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. In case you want to know what they are, I will tell you. It's kind of cool, huh? Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. So Paul says, I've been entrusted with this great, these, this great valuable treasure, the, the things about God people don't know. And I'm a steward of them. So, so here's my point in terms of communication. Since you are a steward of the mysteries of God, this is number five, speak with clear facts. Speak with clear facts. Uh, speak the truth in love. Start from the beginning. People don't know who Moses was. Explain it to him. People know who Jesus is. Explain it to him. Use plain, powerful language. I don't use the biggest words I know because pe- that doesn't help people unless I'm trying to impress people how smart I am and how much I've read. I use the plain words that I think will capture people's hearts and use plain powerful language my model was jesus who did not use big words the son of god infinitely wise and smart and when he spoke you can read a child can read the sermon on the mount and it will and, and it will be a depth they will never entirely search out and yet simplicity use plain powerful language avoid unnecessary and offensive words major uncommon words that people know double check the accuracy of your words use concrete description and personal application when you speak or teach don't stay up in the ethereal clouds of abstraction all the time talking about things that people can't smell or people can't taste or people can't hear or people can't feel go down into their life with that truth like the grace of god and talk about things That's why I usually put bacon in my messages, you see. Because bacon is concrete. You can smell it right now. You can taste it. You can hear it sizzle. It's a very concrete thing. It has nothing to do with anything I'm talking about, but it is concrete. And so I have to make that work. Um, But you talk to people. This is a powerful tool in communication to people. And that is go talk about things that, that are abstract, like grace and faith and love. But bring them down to terms that people can smell and hear and feel and taste and touch. 
And, and what will happen is people will, the lights will go on for people. And so because you are a steward of the mysteries of God, you should study how to communicate with people. How are you going to write that letter that's going to help somebody see something they, did, they don't see? Now, number six is speak with grace and salt. Colossians 4 and verse 6 says that when we speak, we should speak gracefully and our speech should be seasoned with salt. Isn't that interesting? Colossians uh, 4 and verse 6. I want to read this to you. Um, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. So we shouldn't boilerplate people. We shouldn't sales pitch people. We shouldn't have a one-size-fits-all spiel for people. We should listen to people. We should love people. We should care deeply about people. We should ask God to give us, how can I gift them grace with my speech? How can I arouse curiosity like salt? How can I arouse curiosity? A guy calls me on the phone. His name was Steve many years ago. He calls me on the phone. He says, I'm on my third marriage and it's about to end. And I just don't know what to do. He heard me preach at a funeral. I'm on my third marriage. It's about to end. I don't know what to do. And, you know, people are notorious about this. I'm like, well, let's have a long talk, you know, and I'll come in, come in and I'll tell you how to be nice to your wife and all of that stuff. And then a lot of times it just, it's not very fruitful. Or they, they don't come in or they come in and they don't come back. So what I said to him was, well, Steve, I don't know that you're ready to hear it. But there are these three things that I shared with a guy one time. And it, it turned his life around. Three, when I share these three things with him, it's not something I can tell you over the phone. We'd have to sit down. But when I shared those three things with him, it, it changed his life. His name's Gary Mickle. I can, you can talk to him. He lives here in Knox County. I go, well, but anyway, you, you'll need to call me back and schedule an appointment for me to tell you those three things if you want to. He goes, all right. I go, bye. A couple of days later, he called me on the phone. He said, I can't get those three things out of my mind. Could we meet? I got a free breakfast out of it. Actually, I got a lot of free breakfast out of it. <laughs> matter of fact, I got a fishing trip on Lake Erie. Uh, matter of fact, he bought me a tire one day. As a matter of fact, Steve was in my life for a long time. Dear friend, Steve Day. But I remember that God gave me the wisdom to not just tell him the truth over the phone, but to, to salt the oats, to arouse curiosity. Jesus did this. He didn't just unload the truth on people. He would sometimes just tell a half story and walk away. I've never had the, the temerity to do that. Just tell a half story and go, well, that's for those who have ears to hear. And then he would just walk away. And the disciples would scurry and go, wait a minute, what, what, what was that about? What, were you, what did you mean by that? And then he would tell, he would tell them. Um, that's speaking with grace and salt. Grace is, your speech should be a gift. And, and can I just say this? When you talk, always ask yourself, was that a gift? Every once in a while, I'll say something, and I will think, was that a gift? Was that, were those words a gift to that person or not? You should go around gifting people with the things that you say. Is it a gift? That's grace. And, and, and create curiosity by using embellished or not lying, but like adorned language, thoughtful language. You think through your words. So speak with grace and salt. So let me go over those again, just so that those of you who like taking notes and don't want to look online, speak from a good conscience if you want to speak with authority. Speak with scripture. Speak to the conscience. Appeal to the conscience. Speak from experience as a witness. Speak with, with clear facts. And then speak with grace and salt. And, and then number seven in the final is speak with in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, you might think, how do I do that? Well, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, pray until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then go into all the world and be a witness. So don't just rush into things talking. That could get you in trouble. I've gotten in trouble a few times with the things that I say. But pray, God, give me wisdom before I speak. Not too long ago, I went to a trusted friend, and I said, here's what's on my mind, just between you and me. What should I do? He said, don't do anything. <laughs> he said, don't, don't say anything to anybody. That's what he said. Wait until it's clear the Holy Spirit is at work. Remember one time there was a guy in our church, and he was, um, loved money. He was, he was, I shouldn't say it that way. He was diligent, hardworking, and thoughtful about his money. I don't know that he was greedy, but I thought he probably could have been. And he, and he was working seven days a week because they paid him so much to work on Sunday. And he had a young family, and I kind of thought it would be better for him not to take the optional Sunday work if he didn't have to. But, you know, it wasn't kind of my direct business to go to him and say, hey, Steve, you should stop working on Sunday. But I prayed for him every day for a while. I remember when I, a certain thing I would do every day to remind me of him, and I'd pray that if it was, if that was of the Lord, that the Lord would put it on his heart, that he would set aside that Sunday work, be with his family in church. And I'll never forget, after about six weeks of praying like that, he was in prayer meeting one night, and he stood up and he goes, God told me to stop working on Sunday. Now, you know, he wasn't like a nurse or a police officer or something. We don't want all the police officers to take Sunday off. Thank you. Um, but, but he was doing work that wasn't work of necessity. He said, God, God show me I could set that aside. I don't have to have that money. I thought, wow, I never said a word to him. Ask God to, t sometimes we should not speak. We should just be an example. We should be an example, adult child that you've already told everything in the world you know to. And, and right now is not the time to tell them that again, but to love them, pray for them, be an example, and pray that God will bring somebody else to say what you said. That would be an example, right? Not because you're a coward, not because you will never witness at work because you're afraid. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Wait to be filled with the Spirit. Be filled and controlled by the Spirit through the means given in Ephesians 5. We'll, talk, we'll teach about that later. Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't resist the Spirit. See to it that the Spirit flows naturally, supernaturally freely in you. As a believer, the, the Spirit, the, Jesus said this in John 7, 30-something. He said, out of his, uh, the, those who believe in me, out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit that they didn't have yet because he had. So every believer then that's filled with the Holy Spirit has spiritual authority unless he grieves or quenches or resists the Spirit. So the way to have the, the power of the Holy Spirit on your life is to make sure that the sin is not there, that the sin is confessed, that, that you don't grieve or quench or resist the Spirit. Then the natural spiritual life would be you would have spiritual authority. You would have spiritual influence. You would be able to help people spiritually. Then you would be filled with or controlled by the Holy Spirit. Relate every experience to Scripture. The Spirit of God uses the, the Word of God. Now, I, if I'm a successful pastor, you will be able to repeat this definition. If you cannot repeat this definition, I am not successful because my goal is to get you to know what I'm about to say to you right now, that when people poke you, you bleed this, you say this. You ready to hear it? Okay, so that, what, is, what is it? What is walking in the Spirit? Walking in the Spirit is continually obeying the impulses of the Spirit in the power of the Holy Spirit, which yields the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What is it to walk in the Holy Spirit? Walking in the Holy Spirit is continually, that means walking repeatedly, 
obeying the impulses of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit, recognizing he's empowering it, this yields the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Think about this. So now you say, okay, here I go. I'm, I want to go influence my world. I want to go into all the world and make disciples. I have spiritual power and authority to do it. God's going to be placing people in my life to influence. God, I'm watching your eyes for impulses. Who do I help? Who do I gift? Who do I love? What do you want me to do today? I know you're at work in my world. How do you want me to help? Where can I, where can I help? What can I do? And live every day like that's got to be an exciting life, realizing that the impulses that you have as a spirit-filled believer are going to be God giving you an impulse to get involved in something he's doing. God's work, what he's doing. And then he'll empower that in a powerful way that you couldn't. And that will, the fruit of that will be the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, etc. That's pretty exciting. Now, you, you might ask, what if they won't listen? Well, in some cases, you keep talking. <laughs> Proverbs 26 says, answer not a fool according to his folly. And then right after it says, answer a fool according to his folly. So you want to have the wisdom to know when somebody just needs to hear it and when you need to not repeat it. Sometimes you don't give what's sacred to the dogs. You don't cast your pearls before a swine. In some cases, you love them until you're prompted to speak again. You pray, you love, you be an example, you wait for an opening to speak. In some cases, you turn them over to themselves or you commend them to God and you go find others who are willing to hear. Sometimes God will use creation to tug their heart toward God. Sometimes a crisis will open their heart to God. I have a friend who got saved so powerfully. He was so far from God. And he was so powerfully saved. I said, what was it that turned you from you? You know, he's a really sweet southern guy. And he would just, well, Ken, that's really wonderful that you're telling me that. He just was not interested in the gospel. Then one day he called me on the phone and he burned like two hours talking on the phone going, he was so fired up. I said, Boyd. Boyd Banks is his name. Boyd, what, what happened? He goes, black dog. I'm like, what? He said, black dog. Black dog. I'm like, okay, that's kind of weird. What, what do you mean? He goes, I sit in a park and a black dog attacked me. And I go, yeah. <laughs> he goes, yeah, this dog came like, I thought it was going to attack me. And I just knew that was Satan was trying to destroy me. I go, okay, well, that's true. I don't know about that black dog thing, but yeah, but yeah, Satan's trying to destroy you. He guys, God used a black dog. He decided some guys some, were witness to him at work, and they, they're Pentecostal guys. said they wanted to come to his Pentecostal church. He said, I, can I decide I would go to that meeting that night? He goes, I got halfway there, and I was overpowered by the Holy Spirit. I pulled over. I think, I don't know what happened to me. I might have gotten saved. He's such a strong, sweet follower of Jesus. He goes down, works with the homeless on the street, witnesses earnestly. He goes back to his hometown in the mountains of Kentucky, and you'll watch him out on the street just earnestly exhorting and talking to people. A crisis opened his heart to God. I witnessed to him regularly. That didn't, that didn't seem to take, but, but the black dog, <laughs> God sent a black dog. Sometimes God will use a consecrated place take a person to a place where God's at work. Sometimes you use a confirming witness. Listen, you might think you're wasting your time talking to people, but what will often happen is in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established, and so you're telling the truth, like you tell your son, hey, this is what I believe, and this is what I believe, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he goes to college, and then this really cool person tells him the same thing, and he calls you on the phone. He goes, you know what? This cool person told me such and such, and you're like, I have told you that all your life. But that's how God works. A confirming witness. Sometimes, listen, I've seen this. Sometimes people are in spiritual bondage and cannot see the truth, and I can see it, 
and I can tell it to them, and other people can tell it to them, and they will not listen, but then somebody that they really admire will tell them that. Somebody that they really admire, they'll listen to that person. Ask God to send somebody into their life that they really have a high admiration for, that has a, has a, a spiritual authority in their life. And remember, it's a team. I don't do this often, but I will quote Bo Schembechler. Sorry if you're a Michigan State fan, but you remember what Bo Schembechler said. What did he say? He said, the team, the team. Do we have like one Michigan person in here? This is famous. Look it up. The team, the, te- the team, the team. This is a famous locker room speech. That's what I want to tell you. You're, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, he's talkative. All that stuff comes natural to him. I, I know what you're thinking. No, we're the team. Somebody needs a carrot cake out there. I'm not good at that. Somebody needs back brakes. That would take me 17 years. Somebody needs a pickup truck. I don't have one. Somebody needs a listener, and you might be better at that than I am. Somebody needs a word of counsel. Somebody needs a teacher. We're the team, the team, the team, and the truth and time. And, the Bible. and remember that Jesus said, I, if I am lifted up, might come. If I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. There are people in your life God is drawing to himself. I'm going to ask Mike Vanderwalker to come pronounce a benediction. We'll throw him a little curveball. Pray thank you for our food. But I want you to know before I stop talking today, there are people in your life that God will help you influence to God. And you have more power than you think you have to do that. So go into all the world and make disciples.